Welcome, everyone. It's Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with Plugged and Unplanned. And I'm excited today to have an author with some very interesting skills that I think we're all going to be wanting to find out a lot more because I'm sure we're all um, uh, burdened by the issues that he has uh, dealt in and researched and become an expert on. Welcome to the show, Nir Ayal. Thank you. Great to be here. So the two books, you've got Hooked, which came out um, a while back, and your new one, Indistractable, not indestructible, but indistractable, about being distracted in our lives, in in work, whatever else. Um, I'm sure uh, with the pandemic, uh, we're in pandemic proportions uh, when it comes to distractions because we're at home and we're not in a work environment. Is that true or have we been more focused because we're not being distracted by others? How's it played out over the last um, several months? Oh, I wish we were more focused. I think uh, almost everyone I speak to, I haven't even met one soul who doesn't find the world to be an incredibly distracting place these days. Do you, Tony? Are you more focused? You might be the only person. <laughs> um, I feel like I've been more focused, um, perhaps. But um, I got diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago, and I've been very good taking my, my Ritalin. So, uh. um, so when I think about how I used to be, now that I'm uh, medicated and, and you're talking about someone who's built a $200 million company and got over 200 staff and, and, uh, and um, you would think that it would be more distracting. But my wife, I would be married five years, kind of picked up that my son, her stepson had, had uh, something going on and he, then he was diagnosed with ADHD. And then she, she then not long after said, I reckon you've got it as well. So, um, having access to Ritalin to, to help me focus. Um, maybe I'm, I won't say at the other end of the spectrum to everyone else, but uh, it is, a, it is a helpful today to have, to be, to have been diagnosed and, and know what's going on. But, but that's probably uncommon. The, um, you, so you, basically what you're saying is that, is that people um, have got um, stimuli coming in from all angles. What, what, Without you know, and, I, and people know who listen to my podcast series. I don't want to go into the book because I want them to buy a book, um, and I want them to there's you know, much more um, content than we could ever cover in a conversation. But what what are, what are some of the the you know the the warning signs or the worst kind of um, things that take us derail us? What how do, how do we get derailed so often these days? Mm. Yeah, so I think the best place to start is to understand what is distraction. Uh, and the best way to understand what is distraction is to understand what is distraction. So most people, when you say, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you the opposite of distraction is focus. But that's not exactly right. That the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That if you look at the origin of both words, traction and distraction, they both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you say you're going to do, things you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction. 
Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that is not aligned with your values, anything that moves you further away from becoming the person you want to become. And so this is more than just semantics. This is incredibly important because I would argue any action can be traction or distraction. Let me give you a great example. So before I embarked on this line of research and took five years to write this book, I would sit down at my desk every single morning and the same routine would play out. I would sit down, I would say, okay, I have to work on that big project. I can't get distracted. I can't let anything get in my way. I have to work on this big proposal, this big project, this whatever it is I was looming over my head that I was procrastinating. I have to do it. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now, right away. But first, let me check email for a quick minute, right? Let me just scroll that Slack channel. Let me just uh, finish a couple easy to-dos on my to-do list. And what I didn't realize is that I was succumbing to the most dangerous form of distraction. The most dangerous form of distraction is the kind that tricks you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And so when people justify to themselves, oh, I just need, you know, I'm working on emails, I'm, I'm doing something work-related, even if it's not what they said they wanted to do, it is just as much of a distraction as playing a video game or whatever else you might be doing with your time. If it's not what you said you were going to do, it is by definition a distraction. And conversely, anything can be traction. So, you know, these days we hear a lot of of chicken little tech commentators who tell us that the sky is falling, that technology is rotting your brain, that video games are horrible, that social media is the worst thing ever, that society is collapsing all because of technology, and that nobody can focus, it's addicting your brain, and it is rubbish. Now, I understand these things are very compelling. I wrote the book on how products get you hooked. That was my first book. I know every trick in the book because I wrote the book. And I will tell you that these techniques that these companies use are good, they're not that good. This isn't mind control. This isn't uh, some, you know, these technologies are not hijacking your brain, as some critics will say. That is rubbish. It is not true. That, in fact, I argue that these technologies are wonderful as long as you use them on your schedule, not someone else's. So if you want to play video games, great. You want to go on social media, fantastic. You want to watch YouTube's, uh, videos on YouTube, no problem. But do it with intent. Plan that time. That's the difference between turning something into traction that was previously a distraction. So that's the first place to start is not to uh, have this moral panic around some behaviors because, of course, every generation does this. I talk about in the book how every generation all the way back to Plato, the Greek philosopher, talked about how the kids these days are distracted and how the world is so distracting. Literally, Plato talked about this 2,500 years before the iPhone, before the internet. So this is not a new problem. Uh, I think the, 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 since it's not a new problem, what we have to do is to dive into the deeper psychology of why we get distracted. And this isn't just about technology distraction or the distractions that might, might occur because of the current pandemic. This is a deeper issue, right? This is understanding why is it that if we know what to do, this is fundamentally what Plato asked. He, he called this in the Greek akrasia. And he asked, wait a minute, if we know what to do, why don't we just do it, right? This is what Plato is fundamentally asking with this term akrasia, which means acting against our better interest. If we know we should eat right, why don't we? Uh, if we know we should exercise, why don't we just do it? If we know we're supposed to work on that big project, What's keeping us? <laughs> so the problem is not that we don't know what to do. We know what to do. The problem is we don't know how to stop getting in our own way, how to stop getting distracted.
And so this is why I call it the skill of the century, because if you can figure out how to get out of your own way, you can do anything. Mm. And have, so, so you've had, um, do you train people? Do you have success? Do you, is it easy to like the insights that you get from reading your book or working with you perhaps as a consultant in companies? Is it, is it really easy to kind of realign yourself or is, are we, does it feel like we're in quicksand and we, we, uh, because of these, these um, systems have been, um, no, I won't say genetically handed down, but it's very much part of our, our makeup, our chemical makeup or our, our uh, being, being a homo sapien. Is it, is it really, is it like swimming against the tide or is it actually, ah, oh, okay, I can, I can easily transition across to that. How, how have you seen that play out? Well, nothing in life worth having is easy. <laughs> so I'll just say that up front, that it, you're absolutely right, Tony, that we do have uh, a proclivity towards distraction, that our, uh, we, we have several um, predispositions, several biases, heuristics, we call them, that uh, lead us to being distractible. Uh, that uh, we're present bias, meaning we 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 present we value short-term rewards over long-term rewards. Uh, that's why we you know we eat that chocolate we're trying to avoid when we're even when we're on a diet, right? We we like the short-term um, rewards more than the long-term. Um, we are easily bored. Uh, you know, boredom. There was a wonderful experiment done by Timothy Wilson at Harvard where he took people and put them in a room and said, "Look, you just need to sit here in this room uh, and do nothing." but I'm gonna connect your arm to a device that will, will um, inflict a painful electrical shock, okay? Now, he told people this would be painful, and all they had to do was just sit in the room and do nothing. And believe it or not, Tony, two-thirds of men and about a third of women would have shocked themselves. So they would rather feel something than feel nothing because boredom hurts. Boredom is very uncomfortable. And so we have this natural predilection to fight boredom, to do something with our brains. Now, this is, of course, not a new problem. This has been around for forever. Humans have always had that. And in many ways, this is a beneficial trait, uh, right? That, that um, uh, these uncomfortable emotional states is what pushes us to invent, to create, to overturn despots, to shoot for the moon, comes from our perpetual disquietude, this, this, these uncomfortable sensations. Now, just because we have a proclivity towards something doesn't mean we can't overcome it, right? That uh, all of us were potty trained. Now, is that natural? No, right? The toilet is a rather, rather uh, new invention. And yet we overcome our homo sapien instincts and we learn how to contain ourselves, quite literally. Uh, we learn new skills. And this is what society requires. This is what becoming a modern civilized person requires, is that we don't defecate wherever we want like we used to on the Serengeti. And we also should should control our attention in a way that serves us as opposed to uh, what our base level instincts tell us to do. And so this is the constant process of human adaptation is that we upgrade ourselves constantly in response to our environments. We get better and better no matter what our instincts or our base level higher hardwiring says. One of the things that makes our species so special is that we are so adaptable. I think everyone who's listening right now, we're only you know, a dozen minutes into this uh, podcast. There, I can tell that you're all 
realizing like me that we're going to go out and buy Nia's book because this is a bit of, uh, this is kind of like, oh, I'm going to take you to the secret room of being human and I'm going to give you some information that's going to change your life and make you feel a hell of a lot better. And, and, and yes, I want that. In, obviously, there's aspects of us that, that do, we all aspire to that and want that and want to live our life like that. You've obviously um, um, researched it and delved right into it. In terms of your own journey, how how fallible are we? How uh, how like you've got to talk talk the talk, walk the walk? Is it is it easy? Do you have to be very forgiving? Um, do you will, you, will we always uh, relapse back into? Oh yeah, of course. You know, I've yeah. been distracted again, and I've got to reset myself. Or is it a habit? that you can seriously build that after three weeks, three months, three years, that actually is really very much in the rear vision mirror. And it's like potty training or learning to walk or learning how to do easy mathematics that we do naturally today when we don't even yeah. think about it. How's that played out for you? So I will tell you, Tony, that, that there is no aspect of my life that hasn't uh, improved since I embarked on this line of research that the reason I wrote this book, like many authors, uh, when I write a book, uh, research is me search. And I wrote this book for me. <laughs> it's great that it's become an international bestseller. It's wonderful that it's sold over 300,000 copies worldwide. That's great. But let me tell you, I wrote the book for me because I found that I was incredibly distracted. I used to be clinically obese and I always felt like food controlled me. And I didn't like that aspect. I didn't like that somehow uh, the food felt like it was something that that I didn't have control over. And then when you know when we all started adopting social media and we uh, started carrying these amazing devices with us uh, in our pockets that connect us to the world's information, well, this was like a a smorgasbord. This was a buffet, not of food, but of information. And uh, many times I would find myself incredibly distracted with all the incredible stuff that you could do online. And so there was. Really, for me, Tony, one particular instance that kind of um, was like a slap in the face. I, I was with my daughter one afternoon, and we had a beautiful day plan. We were just going to have some great father-daughter time together. And I remember we had this activity book, uh, different things that daddies and daughters could do together. And one of the activities was to um, uh, make an origami crane. Another was a crossword puzzle. Another was to ask each other this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what she said. Because in that moment, for whatever reason, I was on my phone checking something or another. I don't even remember what. And by the time I looked up from my device, she was gone. She left the room. Because she picked up on the message I was sending her, which was whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she left to play with some toy outside. And, um, you know, I, I actually talked about this with a friend of mine who has a, a daughter of a similar age. And he decided to ask his daughter this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And uh, his daughter said that the superpower that she would most want, get this, was the power to talk to animals. And he said, the power to talk to animals, why, why would that be, honey? And she said, so that when you and mommy are on your phones, I'll have someone to talk to. 
That would have so, been quite So this isn't just a problem I was struggling with. And uh, if I'm honest with you, Tony, it didn't just happen with my daughter, right? It would happen when I would sit down at my desk, like we discussed earlier, and I would do everything in the world except that project I was procrastinating on. Or uh, I would say I was going to go to the gym and exercise and eat right, and yet I wouldn't day after day after day. And so that's when I decided that if I could have any superpower, this is it. This is the macro skill, right? It's not about the micro skill. It's not about, oh, I want to save money or, oh, I want to get into shape or, oh, I want to do this better, that better. The macro skill is how do I do what I know I should do? That's the macro skill. That's what I call the skill of the century. Uh, because basically we all know how to do this stuff. Like we talked about earlier, who doesn't know how to get into shape? Who doesn't know that if you want better relationships, you have to be fully present? Who doesn't know that if you want to do your, your be better at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do? So all of this requires our ability to do what we say we're going to do. There is no aspect of your life that isn't touched by this skill. And so I have to tell you now, you know, five years later, um, uh, there's there's no aspect of my life that hasn't improved. I have a better relationship with my daughter, with my wife than ever before. Uh, I'm in better physical shape than I've ever been. I'm 42 years old and I've never been in better shape because I exercise and eat right when I say I will. Uh, I'm more productive in my, my work because I do what I say I'm going to do. And that doesn't mean, however, that I don't get distracted from time to time. Here's the beauty of it. So, you know, when you when you make up a word, you get to define it any way you want. And so I made up this word, indistractable is not a real word. I made it up. Uh, it's supposed to sound like indestructible, like that superpower that my daughter asked me about back then in that, with that question. Indistractable sounds like indestructible. It's meant to sound like a superpower. But I can define indistractable any way I want because I made it up. And here's the definition of indistractable. Being indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted. It means you strive to do as you say you are going to do. Strive to do as you say you're going to do. So I still get distracted from time to time, but here's the difference. An indistractable person versus a distractible person understands why they got distracted and does something about it. So a distractible person gets distracted by the same stuff day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They keep getting distracted by the same things all the time and they do nothing about it. And there's a wonderful quote by Puelo Coelho who said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So I, before I embarked on this line of research, I was making a decision to be distractible because I wasn't doing anything about it. You know, all I would do is blame social media, blame technology, blame this, blame that, but I wouldn't, wasn't doing anything about it. So I was deciding to be distractible. No more. Now I have decided to be indistractable. So when something distracts me, okay, if it happens once, no problem, right? It distracted me. Now I know why it distracted me and I can do something about it. And I promise you, it doesn't keep distracting me the second, third time because now I know what to do about that distraction so that I can be indistractable. Mm. How's this gone down with teenagers? Yeah, yeah. So there's a section in the book that's uh, about how to raise indistractable kids. Uh, so my, I have a little girl who's 12 years old now, and uh, let me tell you, Tony, some of her first words uh, after uh, mommy and daddy, some of her first words were iPad time, iPad time, and I used to hear that throughout her childhood. <laughs> so the, I think one of the most important sections of the book is this, this section on how to raise indistractable kids. There's also a section on how to build an indistractable workplace, very, very important. You know, many of us work in organizations 
that are chronically distracted. We can't get our work done because people won't shut up and stop bothering each other and let us do our work. It's a it's a crisis right now in the workplace. Uh, and there's also a section on how to be, how to um, have indistractable relationships. But let's talk about this this uh, problem with with children. One of the biggest problems out there is that parents don't realize that if you want to raise indistractable kids, which I think we can all agree is incredibly important, because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years, <laughs> right? It's only going to become more distracting as we have virtual reality and augmented reality and who knows what other realities might might occur. The world is only going to become more distracting, right? And we want it to, frankly. I mean, this is this is this is what naturally happens when we have connection to all these amazing technologies, all these incredible uh, the access to all these incredible things are that are out there on the internet. Of course, the world is going to become more potentially distracting. And I really believe that there's going to be a bifurcation between people who are distractible, who let their time and their attention and their lives be controlled by others and those who stand up and say, no, I am indistractable. I decide how I will control my attention, how I will control my life. I am indistractable. We, we have to teach them how to become indistractable or something's going to get them, right? The, 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 the media has an interest in, in monetizing their attention. Of course, these tech companies have an interest in monetizing their attention. And, and I'm no Luddite. I love these tools, right? If you want to play video games, if you want to use social media, great. But again, Use them. Don't let them use you. So we have to teach kids how to become indistractable. How do we do that, Tony? The first step, and this is the one parents don't like, is that we have to model the behavior. I work with so many parents over the years who tell me, my kid is constantly playing video games. They're constantly distracted on Fortnite, and they're complaining about this to me as they're checking their phones and looking at Facebook. So you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> because kids come built in with what we call a hypocrisy detection device that you can't see them, but they have these little antennas that are constantly scanning their environment to see when adults are being hypocrites. And if we are hypocrites, they will not do anything we say. <laughs> so you cannot tell your kid, stop playing video games while you're looking at your phone, checking email. It doesn't work that way. So the number one step is to become indistractable ourselves. And then what we have to do is to work through the same four steps, uh, which we, we didn't get to talk about yet, but there's basically these four steps in the book on how to become indistractable, which are number one, master the internal triggers, understand the source of the distraction. Number two, make time for traction, right? So that, you know, we talked about how traction are these things that we do with intent that pull us closer to what we wanna do. One of the problems that many of us face these days is that we don't plan our time. Right. So here's the thing. If there's one mantra I want people to remember, it's that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. OK, let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So we cannot complain that we got distracted from something if we didn't plan what we wanted to do with our time. So one of the most important skills you can teach your kid, especially right now if you're homeschooling, if you're you know, on quarantine, is to plan their day, right? Is to understand as a family, how are we going to spend our time? Because remember, if there's white space on your calendar, if you haven't planned your day, everything is a distraction. So this is a, a very, very important skill. And I show you how to turn your values into time. Right, how we can make sure we can, you know, what are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. 
So I teach you how to turn your values into time by making time for traction. The third step is to hack back the external triggers. And so this is where we talk about the very practical nuts and bolts, all the pings and dings and rings, and how we can make sure that we can remove the external triggers that don't serve us. So we have seen a rise in teen mental health issues over the past few years. But interestingly enough, you know, most people say, oh, this, is, this rise in, in mental health problems is because of technology. But if you actually look more thoroughly into the data, you find that it's actually not the technology. It's what the technology is displacing. And what the technology is displacing, you know what it is? Sleep. Sleep. That there is no good reason that I can figure why a child needs to sleep next to their cell phone, right? There's no good reason why an adult needs to sleep next to their cell phone. Anything that beeps, buzzes, or boops needs to not be in a bedroom. A bedroom is a sacred space. So we need to have these devices outside of our, of our bedroom, uh, whether that's a television, whether that's older technologies, anything that can interrupt sleep needs to be outside a child's room. I think it should be outside an adult's room too. That's not a bad idea as well. And so we can, we can uh, take those steps, not only uh, to remove those external triggers that don't serve us, that don't serve our children, but also make sure our children know how to turn these things off. So a question I often get asked is, how do you know a child is ready for a technology? And the answer is, have they mastered how to shut it down? <laughs> can they come to the dinner table without their device? Do they understand that that's a no phone zone? Do they know how to turn, use the do not disturb features when they have to do their homework? That's the kind of things we need to make sure that we, uh, we help our children learn. And then finally, the last step to becoming indistractable is to prevent distraction with pacts. And pacts are these pre-commitment devices, these promises we can make to ourselves or others, ironically enough, using the technology, that we can actually use technology to block out distracting technology. So I, I go through all kinds of tools that you can use to help you uh, as a last line of defense, as the firewall against distraction, we can use various tools to make sure that we don't go off track when we say we will do something uh, that we're going to do. Amazing. Um, I feel the motivation building within me as we you have You can do this. it, Tony. <laughs> I can do it. I can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think about, uh, it comes up quite often in the, in the podcasts around a lot of the things in my life are working. Um, and, but, uh, taking care of myself. I was an athlete when I was younger. And so I burned off a lot of my whatever I was eating. But now that I'm 57, uh, I would say that I'm clinically obese. Um, well, I don't say it. I try and avoid saying that. I'm overweight, slightly overweight, and I'll get back to where I need to be. But the medical authorities would say that I'm um, you know, in that range of clinically obese. So I know, you know where, you, where you were and and I look at you now, this is a podcast, but I can see everyone who's listening, this guy is in good physical shape. You can tell um, straight I, away. I, look, when I, I understand. I mean, look, this is something I've struggled with almost my entire life. Uh, and, and, you know, I wish I could tell you that it was the food companies that did it to me. For a while, that's what I blamed, right? It's the fact that, that uh, fast food is so delicious. That's why I was overweight. And that, that was all right for a while, but it really didn't actually help me improve myself very much and this is kind of you know i think food is has a, a, a is a very good metaphor for uh the same problems we have with the overconsumption of information is is very similar to overconsumption of food in that we like to blame things outside ourselves right we like to blame the internet for distracting us the news for distracting us the modern world for distracting us just like we like to blame food for doing it to us 
But of course, that's not why I was obese. <laughs> I was clinically obese because I was eating my feelings. And this is something that we find is, is, is true across the board, that if we really face facts, uh, I wasn't eating because I was hungry. I was eating because I was feeling something I wanted to escape, right? I was eating because I was bored. I was eating because I was lonely. I was eating because I felt ashamed at how much I w had eaten. That's the icky, sticky, uncomfortable truth that we don't want to face. And you know what? It's the same way with our distractions. This is what we call internal triggers, not the external triggers. The external triggers are the pings and dings and all the distractions out there in the outside world. But the leading cause of distraction is not what is going on outside of us. It is what's happening inside of us. It's the internal triggers, loneliness, boredom, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, stress. This is why we look for escape. That fundamentally procrastination and distraction, they're not character flaws. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned how to deal with that discomfort in a healthy way that leads us towards traction rather than trying to escape it with distraction. And so that's why that's the most important first step. It's called mastering the internal triggers. And I show you how anyone can use these techniques to, to learn how to deal with these uncomfortable sensations in a healthy manner, first and foremost, by mastering the internal triggers. Because let me tell you, Tony, it doesn't matter what the distraction is, whether it's too much news, too much food, too much booze, any of these things will become a distraction unless we understand what we are trying to escape. What is the deeper discomfort that we are satiating with these distractions? That has to be the first place to start. You know how you've uh, written this book, uh, Indistractable, but prior to that, you wrote the book Hooked, which really, um, from what I understand, I've not read it, um, but it sounds like it's a book about how how to market to the masses and and get people um, engaged with your product, engaged with whatever you, you're selling or what whatever you offer. How important will it be to... Um, the reader, the listener, the the person who's on a this quest, personal quest to um, um, have more um, sense of of purpose and and satisfaction in their lives, to have read that, to have mm. understood what are the what are the how yeah how those guys are pulling the strings. Is it important to do both? I mean, probably those that have interested in one may want to explore more about what you did with hook but yeah is it is it important to understand what how they're manipulating or or if you just simply stand resolutely in your own um purpose to be to be indistractable to understand that you don't really need to even under, you, you might be interested yeah. to look, look at that first book but it's not necessarily important because it's all about you it's the the two books are for two different audiences. So hooked is for people who are building products to build healthy habits in people's lives. So I've worked with uh, thousands of companies over the years since hooked was published to build healthy habits. So I didn't write the book for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and those companies. They they already know these techniques. Uh, what I did was steal their secrets so that the rest of us who are building products can use those techniques for good. Uh, so, you know, companies like Kahoot in the education space, uh, the largest 
educational uh, 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 software company in the world right now, they use the hook model to get kids hooked onto online learning. Um, companies like Fitbod use the hook model that I describe in the book to get people hooked to exercise. Uh, uh, Duolingo uses the hook model to teach people new languages. So we can absolutely use these same techniques that get us hooked to social media or whatever the case might be to build healthy habits in our lives. So that's what Hooked is all about. It's how to use these techniques to build good habits through the technologies we use. And the audience is business people. It's, it's people who are designing products and services to build healthy habits in people's lives. So, so if you're you know, building a product that's, and, and you want to make your product more sticky, if you want to create a habit around a product, that's, that's the, you know, you know, the target audience for Hooked. Uh, the target audience for Indistractable is everyone who struggles with distraction. So it doesn't matter if you're building a product or not. And I, I use a lot of the same psychology uh, by explaining, by kind of uncovering how these products do what they do. It makes us more aware of how we can use them uh, to benefit us as opposed to just benefiting these companies. But it's not, you know, you're, you don't need to read both if, you know, I'm happy for you to read both if you'd like, but, uh, it, you know, if you're looking to become indistractable, if you want to help your kids manage distraction, if you want to help your company manage distraction, then uh, indistractable is is more uh, tailored for you. Mm. So, so how do you divide up your time? Are you mostly on the speaker circuit now because you've written this book and it's the best way of you um, impacting, um, you know, groups of of um, people because they're not distracted because they're in a conference and they're sitting there and you've got your keynote and you do that, um, or are you actually working with organisations in there and and developing programs? How, how do you? I mean, with obviously there's not many conferences going on through COVID, but people yeah. might be listening to this post COVID. Um, but how, how do you divide up your time? Yeah, so I, I work with a lot of companies, uh, helping them become indistractable as organizations. You know, this is this is really a, talk about a whole nother pandemic right now. Is how do we uh, work in a way that uh, allows us to do our best work? And we we find that uh, distraction in the workplace is actually a symptom of cultural dysfunction. That uh, if companies are struggling with distraction at work. Uh, we like to blame the technologies, but that's actually not the root cause. It's a symptom of the disease. The real disease is that we have a, a dysfunctional workplace culture. So I work with many companies on how to establish uh, the kind of, of, of company culture that, that provides people with the uh, focus that they need to do their best work. That's a big part of my work these days. Uh, I also do quite a bit of angel investing in companies that are building habit-forming technologies. So I invest in educational companies, uh, healthcare companies, any companies that use my hook model to build healthy habits. Those are the kind of companies I look for. I do quite a bit of writing and research. So I publish uh, consistently on my blog, nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R and far.com. So I publish a new post at least every two weeks. Uh, so I'm 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 very much in in uh, research mode and writing mode, which requires a lot of focus and uh, becoming indistractable. Because let me tell you, I've written two bestsellers and hundreds of articles. Writing is never easy. It's never a habit. I don't I don't believe that there's such a thing as a writing habit, uh, because by definition, a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Uh, I wish I've never written with little or no conscious thought. I don't know how anybody would do that. It's hard work, and I'm constantly tempted towards distraction. So I have to become indistractable or I can't do my job uh, of, of researching and writing. Um, so that's a big part of, of, my, uh, of how I spend my time. 
And then, uh, thank goodness, you know, I, I uh, get to spend a lot of time with my wife and my daughter. So I make time in my day to 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 go on walks with my wife. Uh, I, I uh, we homeschool our daughter, so uh, I get to spend every Wednesday afternoon. I have the whole afternoon with her to just do fun things together. Uh, so uh, that's a, a big chunk of my day as well. So have you noticed that your daughter um, has started to build that uh, resilience muscle of of uh, being indistractable or the ability to to have traction based on what is that um, or is she I mean 12 my stepdaughter is 15 and my son is 17 and the defiance uh, at 12 you're pretty in safe territory but um, uh, you know another another circuit of the moon or two around our planet and you're going to be coming into some fairly defiant uh, stormy weather do you feel like uh, you've got her a solid foundation to kind of go go on her own journey and and yeah make her own way. Yeah, you know it's interesting. There, um, she's definitely learned these these techniques. She can't help it. Uh, just being around me, she, you know, we we definitely teach her how to manage her time and her attention because you know this this our goal as parents is not to raise children. Uh, our goal as parents is to raise future adults. And so it's absolutely imperative that, uh, in my mind, that she learns how to control her time and her attention because that is ultimately how she will control her life. Uh, so we definitely teach her these techniques of how to become indistractable. Um, and so it's you know it's, it's very important. It's especially important now that she's homeschooled uh, during during this pandemic. Uh, she doesn't have a lot of the the constraints that a child would have in school. So it's it's important. You know, we we many times people. Um, resist constraints so we don't we don't want to be told what to do and that's that's clearly the case you know we have what we call psychological reactants this instinct to 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 when someone tells us what to do we rebel don't tell me what to do right um and we all have that not just teenagers uh everybody has that and so the 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 problem is though that if you don't have some kind of constraints in your day it can drive you crazy you know not having a schedule uh, is not freedom. Uh, it's, it, 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 it's, it's disorganization, right? It's not, it's distraction. And so having a schedule, knowing what she's going to do throughout her day, uh, is, is absolutely imperative. So that's a big part. Then we, you know, we use these four techniques we talked about earlier, mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers and preventing distraction with packs. That's certainly part of her life as well. I, I will say though, that um, there are a lot of myths out there when it comes to parenting, particularly with with teenagers. Um, in fact, you know, it's only Western society where we even have this idea of a rebellious teenager. That is not a universal concept. Uh, in many um, um, collectivist societies, uh, this is not. They have no idea what you're talking about if you say a rebellious teenager. And there's a lot of myths that we as parents have. Um, you know, the, the sugar high is another great example. Doesn't everyone know that if a kid eats sugar, they're going to go crazy and be hyper? No, it's it's a myth. There is no such thing as a sugar high. And yet every parent wants to believe these myths because it helps us it helps us give reason to why our kids act the way we don't like them to act sometimes. But the real reason why kids act the way they act is because they are separate sentient beings. They're not us. <laughs> And that's why they act the way they act, because they're people too. They don't always act the way we want them to. Uh, and so I think the latest boogeyman, the latest um, uh, scapegoat is technology, right? Oh, it's TikTok, it's Snapchat, it's these 
technologies that are doing it to their brains. And of course, our parents said the same thing about us with rock and roll or rap music or the television or the comic book. We always do this. And the real reason is never about the technology. The real reason is what's going on inside of us. So there are some deeper reasons, and I talk about this a lot more in the book, around why I think kids today are deficient in what we call psychological nutrients. Uh, that according to self-determination theory, which is this the most widely accepted theory of human uh, flourishing and well-being, uh, you know, we need three things for our psychological well-being. And I think kids today are severely deficient in these three things uh, because of parents. We are doing this to our kids. We do not give them sufficient amounts of these three psychological nutrients. And this is self-determination theory. Every psychologist on the face of the earth knows this very, very well. It's been around for over 50 years now. Um, but if you look at children's lives today, because they don't get enough of these psychological nutrients offline, uh, and these are competency, autonomy, and relatedness, these three things we need for our psychological well-being. Well, if you don't get those things offline, guess what? You look for them online. And that's what's going on these days, that there's a root cause here that we as parents don't want to think about. We don't want to look at the deeper reasons why we are structuring kids' lives in this way that they need to look online for these things they don't get offline. This is called the needs displacement hypothesis. Um, and so I think we, we have to look deeper than just the devices. I'm going to ask you to repeat this. Uh, competency, what did you say? Because so, I bet you everyone's going to go, what did what did need to say? He said competency. Sure. Competency, autonomy, and relatedness. And right. so this is this is this is the basis of self-determination theory. Again, every no, there's no psychologist who hasn't heard of of self-determination theory. It's the most widely studied uh, uh, theory of human motivation and flourishing, as proposed by Desi and Ryan. Uh, and so basically, what they've said is that that every human being on the face of the earth, in order to have psychological well-being, we need competency, autonomy, and relatedness. So just like we have the three macronutrients. For our bodies, right? We need carbohydrates, fat, and protein. Those are the three macronutrients. We need these three psychological nutrients for our mental well-being. Uh, so competency is this sense of uh, mastery that we can control our environment, that we 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 can get better at things. Uh, that's very very important. Then we have autonomy, this this sense of freedom, this sense of uh, that we are unconstrained. Some amount of of control uh, is very important. Autonomy, and then finally relatedness. That it's very, you know, all of us as human beings, we need to understand others and to be understood ourselves. And when you look at children's lives today, unfortunately, this is the most regulated generation in history. You know, there are only two places in society where you can tell people where to go, what to think, what to eat, who to be friends with, and that's school and prison. And so it's no surprise that when we highly regulate children, by the way, we know that children today have 10 times as many restrictions placed upon them as an adult, twice as many as an incarcerated felon. So we so regulate our children, constantly telling them what to do all the time, that is it any surprise that they need autonomy? They want some sense of freedom, right? And so what did we used to do when we were kids? We would go hang out, we would cause mischief, we would you know, create trouble. And, but today, what do kids do? They go online. Uh, right. They 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 go to video games. They go to social networks because that's where they can assert their autonomy, competency and relatedness. They are looking for these three psychological nutrients online if they can't find them offline. And if we don't understand that as parents, we'll just keep blaming the proximal causes rather than the root causes. Mm, amazing. So. So when 
someone has embarked on the journey of of not only reading indistractable but committing to implementing everything as much as they can as little as little as they as they can whatever it may be in terms of of wanting to make their lives better for themselves which is really what you which is really the invitation you've kind of created people here's is a bit more information that you need read this book and then go on a journey of self-discovery how it's quite often when people do that and they they've been enlightened in some way or they've got some extra skill you butt up against other people's values and belief systems the way that you're talking about it and the way that i kind of am processing at the moment it kind of feels like that um is a bit of a hologram in terms of you're not going to be able to bump up against a hologram because you're just being yourself. You, you're, you're getting more certain about who you are and what you want in your life and you're being more effective and you're happier with the way. Do you find that others try to self-sabotage you? It doesn't feel like it, but does, is there others that are trying to, I mean, obviously all the people that want to distract you and I'm, maybe it's not people at home, your spouse or your kids or your friends, come on, let's go and, and um, and watch a go down to the pub and and watch a, the the game um, on on TV and let's have a few beers together. It feels like no no no, just do this and things will start to improve regardless. Or I'm asking the question: Do we will we expect to butt up against other people's values who will try to um, bring you back down to your most distracted and most ineffective level? So. I think w- clearly if you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you, right? If you don't plan your life, plan it for you, right? That, that uh, uh, between business interests, media interests, your kids' interests, your spouse's interests, people want you to do things that may or may not be aligned with what you want in your life. So clearly if you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you. That being said, we don't need to have this macro level perspective on, you know, what's my five-year plan? What's my vision board? That, ugh, that stuff's a waste of time. Why don't we start with tomorrow? Why don't we start with just how do you want to spend the next 24 hours to live according to your values? What, what are values? Again, your values are attributes of the person you want to become. So what I advise people to do, you know, don't worry about, defining your life right now and your vision boards and all that stuff. That's a waste of time. Let's just talk about how can you spend the next 24 hours in a way that is consistent with becoming the kind of person you want to become. And so that's where we talk about in the book around these three life domains, starting with at the center is you. You are at the center of your three life domains. How would the person you want to become spend their time? You know, there's a reason we call it paying attention. We pay attention, just like we pay with dollars and cents. And so we wouldn't stand on the corner and give people money, you know, just handing out money to to strangers. And yet we give our time, we pay attention to whatever wants our attention in that moment. And that's ridiculous because that's the one resource that we have a limited amount of. You can always make more money. You can't make more time. Everybody gets the same 24 hours in a day. So this is where we start by sitting down and saying, okay, wait a minute. How would the person I want to become spend their time on themselves? So I'm not here to preach to you about what your value should be. 
I want to help you live out whatever your values are, whatever's important to you. So if you say to me, you know what, Nir? One of my values is to take care of my physical health. That's usually top of people's list, right? What's most valuable to you in your life? Oh, my physical health. That's very, very important. Okay. Do you have time on your calendar where you invest in your physical health? Do you have time for exercise, right? It's good to talk about, oh, someday I'm going to hit the gym. Someday I'm going to take a walk. But do you have that time on your schedule reserved for an appointment with yourself, the most important person in the world, right? If if uh, the prime minister called you, if Oprah called you, well, you would certainly make time for them. But do you make time for yourself to invest in yourself? And it doesn't necessarily have to be physical exercise. How about a bedtime, right? For years, back to what we talked about, how children have a hypocrisy detection device, I would tell my little daughter, oh, you need a bedtime. Why? Because it's very important. We need adequate sleep. But did I have a bedtime? No, I was a hypocrite. Everybody knows that sleep is important. Why don't adults have bedtimes? Well, because we're, we're hypocrites. <laughs> but if you value your, your physical health, if you value your mental health, one of the best things you could possibly do is to have a bedtime. Right? Don't, don't, don't leave it to the last minute. Put it on your calendar. Um, so, so again, it's about have, it's about helping you do whatever you want to do with your time, not according to my values, but according to your values. The next life domain is relationships, right? Do you leave those relationships to the last minute? Do you spend time with your spouse with whatever scraps of time are left over in your day? Or do you say, no, we're going to have time for a date together. We're going to make time for a walk together. We're going to have time for a dinner together, just the two of us, because that's an important relationship. The same with our siblings, with our parents, with our kids, with our mates, with our best friends. Do we have time scheduled for that stuff? So you want to go to the pub and hang out with your friends? Wonderful. But plan the time, right? Every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'm going to go to the pub and spend time with my friends. Fantastic. That's great. But plan that time. Make sure that's what you want to do with your time in advance according to your values. And then finally, in the work domain. So work, there are, th there are two types of work. We have what we call reactive work and reflective work. Reactive work is time spent reacting to things, right? Reacting to emails, reacting to phone calls, reacting to, to notifications. And that, of course, has to take up some part of our day. The problem is that most people, their entire day is spent doing reactive work, and they have no time for reflective work. Reflective work is the thinking, the planning, the strategizing, the kind of work that requires that it be done without distraction. And if you want a huge competitive advantage over everyone else in your industry, everyone else at your company, make time to think. You know why? Because nobody's thinking these days. No, everybody's reacting and nobody's reflecting. So people are running real fast in the wrong direction. So if you can put time in your day for that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes of time to sit down in silence and just think about what you are doing. Is this what you want to be doing with your time to plan ahead? That is a secret to success that almost nobody takes this advice. And those who do find that their life is completely transformed for the better. Mm, amazing. At the beginning of our session, before we started, you asked me, okay, how long are we taking? And uh, and so, therefore, time is very precious to you. And I, I now have learned something. And we, we said 50 minutes, and we've just ticked over 50 minutes. I'm sure everyone who's listening is going, no, 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 don't agree. Like, I want more <laughs> of this. Like, this is really hot stuff, and, and they're just soaking it all up like I am. But, so thanks, Nia. Before we do wrap things up, though, is there anything given – this is plugged and unplanned and, and you didn't know what we we're going to talk about um, and neither did I. Um, 
that is there anything that you're sitting there going, oh, we never really talked about that, or was there, um, uh, we would be really useful or kind of put the icing on the cake of this conversation uh, that we haven't discussed as yet that you want to share with us? You know, I think I think if there's one big takeaway from the book uh, that I learned over the five years of writing this is is this. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That fundamentally distraction, procrastination, they are lapses in impulse control, right? It's impulsiveness. The, the, the amazing thing is, is that as human beings, we have the antidote. The antidote is forethought. There is one thing that we can do. There's many things that we can do, but one of the things we can do as, as human beings is that we can see the future better than any other animal on the face of the earth. We can imagine what is going to happen better than any other animal. And so we need to use that amazing skill because if we leave these questions to the last minute, we will lose. If you wait till the cigarette is in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If you wait till the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning before you even say hello to your loved one. So you cannot leave these decisions to the last minute. If you rely on willpower and self-control, you will fail. Willpower and self-control do not work for long. It's not the kind of people who have a lot of willpower and self-control who become individual. It's the kind of people who plan ahead, who use forethought, who use this amazing evolutionary gift of seeing into the future. You have to plan ahead. And the good news is that no matter how powerful the algorithms get, how amazingly persuasive the technology might be, all you have to do is plan ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That's the real message of the book, is that we are far more powerful than any of these distractions if we take steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. That's what becoming indistractable is all about. Mm. Yeah, it's been so great. You've sold 300,000 copies of your book, Indistractable. That's the one that you've sold. It's been out for a year or so. Is that right? Yeah, just about. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think everyone who's listening to this is going, he's going to sell 3 million copies of this. He's going to sell 30 million copies of this. So my, my recommendation to all of you is plan to buy his book. Don't be impulsive um, because maybe if you're impulsive, you may be inspired and then not read it. Think about what he has said. Put it in your, your calendar for the next hour or tomorrow where you're going to read up a bit more or go to his website and and make a um a conscious decision for yourself to either buy it or not buy it because that's really what it's all about isn't it it's about making those decisions about what you don't want to do as well as what you want to do so thank you so much for for uh, giving us some of your time it's been really inspiring i can't wait to share with others as soon as this goes live and uh, and near Congratulations, and thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube.
Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.